Hello, everybody. Welcome to day four of the 7 a.m. Novelist 15 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition, in which we write together, talk together, learn together, and try to get something done. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host, and uh, we have Jane Roper. Jane properly wore pajamas this morning. I am not in my normal robe, which I realized if I wear it every single day, that might become frightening. But I do admit that I have not showered. So if you could smell me, I think I'm properly unprepared for real life and prepared to actually get some writing done. So this week we're talking about process, overcoming obstacles, staying in our chair. And I need to get the chat going as always, which is really annoying that I always have to just turn that on. And so for everyone else on the chat, um, how is your week going so far? How is your writing going so far? Are you getting stuff done? Um, I really hope that um, to hear from you. Mary's our first one saying good morning. You know, Mary, you're, you're always the first one saying good morning, which I love. So keep that up. I love to see that. Um, okay. We also have had a lot of people reaching out to each other on our Substack page for writing and accountability partners. Mm. And I love seeing that as well. People are making connections with each other. So um, you can join in on that if you go to the 7amnovelist.substack.com. Just scroll down to the October 5th um, posting and you can join that discussion. And also you can uh, ask questions through the Q&A on here anytime you want, and we'll try to get to those questions. So again, we have writer Jane Roper. She's helping us explore the something in between, pantsing and plotting. Hello, Jane. Hello. She is both a nonfiction writer and a fiction writer. So she's multi-talented. Her uh, memoir was called Double Time, How I Survived and Mostly Thrived Through the First Three Years of Mothering Twins which I don't, I don't have children, so I can't even imagine that. And a novel, Eden Lake. Her new novel coming up very quickly is called The Society of Shame. And I'm very excited about this book. Uh, it will be published by Anchor Books in April, 2023. Her writing has appeared in Salon, McSweeney's, The Millions, Poets and Writers, The Rumpus, and a whole lot of others that I can't even finish that list. She is also the producer and on-air host of The Zeitgeist on a Mighty Blaze, where she interviews authors whose books tackle of the moment topics like gender, race, class, culture, ability, technology, and health. So she's a great supporter of writers. And those are always the people that I love. So Jane, I'm gonna let you talk now. What sure. do you think about this process of in between plotting and planting or plotting and discovery? Yes, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. First of all, it's been fun listening to the other um, the other folks uh, for the last few days. So yeah, I'm definitely in between and it, listening to some of your past guests, I think some of them are a little in between too. So yep. <laughs> maybe familiar territory, but you know, I find that I just, when I'm starting a new novel and I've written, I guess, five complete novels, although only two of them have been published so far, well, a third coming, um, I just cannot start with a, a solid plan of what I'm doing. I just find I have to kind of leap in and get my feet wet and get to know the characters and get a sense of what the hell I'm doing because really, I often just start with, okay, I, I've got this person and this person, I've got this kind of setting, I have a sort of rough sense of what the conflict and arc might be. I do a lot of sort of pre-writing in my head, I think, in terms of just brainstorming. Um, and then I kind of just have to like feel my way around there. I don't know if anyone else has brought this up, but that 
quote that I think is E.L. Doctorow about uh, writing a novel is like driving in the dark and you can only see as far as your headlights, you know, on the dark road ahead. And some um, people are not comfortable with that. They think they can plot their way out of it. And I don't think you can. I, yeah, I certainly can't. But then what happens is, okay, so I'm, I'm writing, I'm discovering, I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I'm headed this way. I think I'm headed this way. And in a way, this is both like the hardest part of starting something for me, but also the most, the most important, I think, because I'm finding my way in. But then I inevitably around like 80 pages or so, or maybe it's like the end of the first act, if we're talking first act, three act structure, I'm just like, okay, I need to know what the hell I'm doing now. Like now mm -hmm. I've gotten to a point where I need to give myself a little more structure. And what I often do at that point is I end up um, making a sort of very rough, I hesitate to call it an outline because it's not that detailed. It's sort of a schema of like, here's what's going to happen next. Here's what, and I often, so I brought up my giant whiteboard. Love it. Yes. It's not mounted yet. Cause I'm just moving into this new office, but you can so see people. That. Yeah. So people listening on to the oh, uh, yeah. podcast, just know that this is a genius whiteboard that we are seeing right now. It's just phenomenal. That. And well, it's, it's quite large. I mean, actually having it's a big, big whiteboard in that, that's really nice. And, and you write on it with marker. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, erasable marker. Yeah. And then seeing <laughs> three parts, right? Yes. So okay. I'm very much a, a three act person, at least in terms of how I like how I plan and conceive of a novel. So you'll see it's divided into three. And in this case, it's three that the acts of this book I've been thinking about happen to coincide with seasons. So I've got winter, spring, summer, but it's really act one, act two, act three. And under each of those, I've written like sort of the, the key beats of like, here's what's going to happen in this act. Okay, here's the rising conflict in the next act. Here are the things that are going to come up. And here's backwards. Here's like the, the, resol the resolution. Um, more or less how things are going to, but it's a very malleable document. It's an ongoing changing thing. Mm -hmm. And I keep it there. Sometimes I also have just like a file in Scrivener. I am a Scrivener person, um, although I don't nearly like use it to its full power, but, but it's really a changing, it's an alive thing. I would never, it, it helps me be like, okay, here's the next little milestone I'm headed toward. But as I'm heading there, I may be like, oh, wait, nope, not going there at all. At which point I may be on there with my eraser, you know, being like, okay, now I think I'm going this way. So it's like this kind of process of, um, it, it's like the pantsing version of plotting in a way. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I definitely find like once I reach a certain point, I need to pull back and be like, okay, what's the big picture here, and how am I going to get there? Yeah, because there's sometimes I feel like your your creativity just kind of runs out, or you start getting nervous, and that's usually when I need mm -hmm. to step back from the book get the whole picture again, get my head in it again and figure out mm -hmm. what am I really doing here? Or what is the, what is the book now becoming that it wasn't before? Because that's really important because we have all these ideas of what we want a book to be. And lots of times as we're working on it, the book veers into its own territory. And we really need yeah. to follow that. If you kind of keep, you know, desperately bringing it back to something else, um, yes. it's not going to work. And that's also a feedback is really good with um mm. this most recent uh this book I'm working on now it was getting so complicated just because I like complexity and that's not always yeah. <laughs> for readers <laughs> Why do you and do that I, st I started going off in a direction and my readers were like 
what <laughs> it just didn't fit. It just didn't yeah. fit. So I'm having to take out an entire storyline and character because, and I realized I'm like, why is this even in here? I need to use an entirely other, mm-hmm. you know, but I just had that in my head and I was forcing it yes. to work. And that just doesn't work. That doesn't work. Right. Um, so Mary, uh, someone was asking if you describe your process as like a storyboard. Oh, interesting. I, I don't think of it that way. Um, I, I guess I think, but, but maybe I, in my mind, a storyboard would be kind of more detailed than what I do, which is more of a big picture thing. I think of a storyboard as being more precise. And, and maybe that's just because I'm bringing my, um, my day job experience as like a copywriter and advertising person where sometimes I'm literally creating a storyboard for like a, a video or, a, um, you know, an animation or something. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't think of it that way, but, but I think if you did, you certainly, one, one could call it that, I don't know, maybe, or if it were more detailed. And I think there are times when I do make it more detailed. In fact, so I took, um, in developing the Society of Shame, I took um, Jenna Blum's master novel class. She's mm-hmm. another uh, grub person who's taught this class and she's very uh, structure oriented, which is great. Like yep. I, need, I need that. So for that class, we submitted a uh, hundred pages and an outline. like you have to do an outline for the rest of the book. And at first I found that really daunting. Um, but again, I was, at that point in, in my development of the book that it was actually really helpful um, to be like, okay, where could I go? Um, but again, I had to go into it with the, the attitude, like this is probably gonna change, but I'm kind yeah. of having fun playing it out. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, it was helpful. So maybe that was closer to a storyboard because it was really a lot more detailed. Um, right. It's interesting too. It also depends on your personality. And I remember Chris Castellani, I think for his second book, his publisher asked him to, um, to give them a a synopsis, a pretty Uh detailed synopsis of the book before he actually wrote the book. And so he wrote, he worked on the synopsis, he killed himself over the synopsis. And then when he, when it was time for him to write the book, he couldn't write it because he was bored (laughs) because there was no discovery left. There was nothing left for him. To get hemmed in. I thought, yeah, I really often turn to the sort of more plotting really when I'm stuck. I think you had mentioned that yes. before. It's it's really kind of like I'm flailing and I'm like, okay, well, let me see if I can try to get to this point or let me see if I can make this particular incident or, um, you know, beat happen and f- see how it feels. Um, somebody says this is the biggest, I think mine, the biggest coffee cup. I think it's it's not as big as it looks because like when it's up front, it looks enormous. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's actually not quite larger than my head, but it's, it's almost as big as your head. Though. Yeah. Um, do you use any like types of plotting when you plot or any plotting books or any materials like that to help you? I generally consider those kind of, um, I refer to them as a ruler that, you know, once you have your book, you can kind of look at, at all these different ideas, you know, the three act structure, or a lot of people use save the cat, uh, writes a novel. Mm -hmm. There's also, there's a lot of different interesting structures out there. And so to to look at those and, and, and what they give you to lay them like a ruler against your book and not try to fit your book to that at all, because I think Mm -hmm. it will kill your book. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not, it's very different than film writing you know we don't have yes. to hit a certain beat by page 92 especially um, if you're not writing genre uh, you know right a little different if you're writing strict to genre and maybe we can talk about that but yeah that's right yeah so and just to see what you might be missing or to see like 
Oh, there's a giant hole here or to give you ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting you asked that because so on my, pre, the book I wrote before Society of Shame, the novel I wrote before that, which I worked on for five years, it did not sell. Um, that's good for people watching who are like beginners to know. Some, <laughs> most of us who are novelists have written books like that, that were not able to be sold, um, yes. which, which is heartbreaking and horrible. But I, so the fact that I labored on this book for five years and, it, you know, poor, it, it drew on some very personal stuff didn't sell. I kind of, after I licked my wounds and felt miserable and I'm like, I'm never going to write again. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to write a book freaking fast. And to do that, I really, I, I, again, I kind of started writing it and got into the dream and the blah, 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 generative dream writing, whatever you want to call it. But then I was like, I think this book could, I started reading about the hero's journey and learning about that structure and I happened to be in a class with a, a guy who's kind of obsessed with the hero's journey um which I think was a really interesting template like you know a ruler to explore and there are it, it's very much used in film in screenwriting um, yeah more so than than novels uh but it's like okay what if I what if I try try going with these beats and it's sort of like you know, the call, the, the, the hero receives the call, um, they refuse the call, um, and they, then there comes along a mentor, usually, and then there are friends and enemies along the way. There, so there are all these phases, and I would encourage folks to, to look into it. Um, there are like 10 zillion articles about it online. Um, some of them will, will point to other books to give you an example, or like Star Wars is a classic one, you know, look at a movie and see how this follows the hero's journey. So that that was helpful to me in sort of my thinking about the conception of the book. But again, I certainly strayed from it. Um, but uh, because I was just like, I just want to, like, I want this to be easier and faster. I was determined yeah. I'm not going to spend years on something that's not going to get published. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I was talking to Jane earlier before we got started that I was actually trying to sell um, a novel about the mother of forensics. It's basically a novel about dead people and people dying. I was trying to sell that novel during the pandemic. Hey. And for some reason, it didn't sell. I don't know. You, you know, can you imagine? Yeah, um, and all the economic uncertainty. I know. <laughs> great, time to sell, great time to sell a novel. So, um, Alison um, Gumbert-Prince asks, how do you know when it's time to move on to your next idea? And what I, what I reckon, what I, I mean, take breaks from your books no matter what, because otherwise you really can't see them mm -hmm. before you go back to revising. And I know I, I, I'm not very good at taking breaks, um, but yeah. people do recommend at least a month, sometimes six months so that you can really, again, see the book and see what is there. Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't, it's not necessarily that you're giving up on a book or that you're moving on. It's that you're trying something else for a while before you go back to it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so yeah, totally. We're going to get to your questions. There's one idea that I wanted to talk about too. Um, so Robert Olin Butler has a book called from where you dream. And, uh, I'll put the name of that in the chat as well as the um, podcast notes, but it's Robert Olin Butler's from where you dream. Now I had this book on my bookshelf for a long time and I never looked at it because I thought the title was stupid. I thought from where <laughs> you dream, that's just lame. But when I finally did take a look at it, I found it very, very helpful. So he has certain chapters that are very helpful. Now be warned 
he is a complete literary snob and he doesn't like, he doesn't seem to um, give much respect to genre writers. So I still think that genre writers can find something here, um, but be prepared for that. Um, so there's a chapter, he has a chapter on yearning. He has a chapter on, on using cinematic um, uh, tricks in your fiction um, and in your nonfiction. And then he also has a chapter called The Writer Prepares. Hmm. And this is how he's written all his books. And this is kind of a great in-between process. Um, he says, you have a piece of paper in front of you. You're going to write down on this piece of paper six or eight or 10 words, not many more that represent a potential scene, just mm. identifiers of a scene. And um, he says, don't hesitate to put something down as long as it has a sensual hook. So he's really big into finding that, like, like what is the um, sensual image that grounds the scene? So yesterday we talked about it could be burnt toast. It could be the sound of footsteps. That, that also keeps it in the realm of the real. Mm -hmm. um, and then just a quick note about what happened. But the point is he's just writing down ideas of scenes very quickly, six to eight words. Hmm. And he doesn't try to organize them or make them continuous or make them make sense. Really blocking out the critical side of your brain and just letting the creative side go um and just writing out ideas so it's very intuitive yeah um so he just does scene 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 scenes just write ideas for scenes so maybe you have 200 scenes yeah and then he starts putting the scenes on cards he writes those little descriptors on cards and then he starts he, okay what is my first scene of the book and that's going to be um you know important in terms of chronology but also what is the most what is the what is the true heart of the book in terms of where you begin? So finding the first scene of the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then he lays down the card. Okay, this is going to be my first scene. And then what can be the second scene? And he lays, just lays out the cards like that. Yeah. Um, he kind of thinks through the whole book in that way of arranging cards and arranging ideas. Um, and if he finds a gap or a hole, then he goes back into his pre-dreaming uh, way and starts to pre-dream new scenes and pre-dream, you know, ways in between it. So he plans out his entire book on cards like that, but in a very kind of intuitive process. Um, so if you guys are interested in something like that, it's very much that in-between process of the intuition versus um, kind of the analytical, because having both of those sit next to each other in a writing process can be very, very difficult. Go ahead. Well, yeah, that's interesting. It sounds definitely like more plotting-y than, than what I would feel comfortable with. Because I've tried that sort of approach. I mean, yeah. maybe not the six ideas kind of thing, but more, um, I, I took a workshop at uh, the Muse in the Marketplace once with Randy Susan Myers, um, great novelist and teacher. And she, you know, her, her process is to just write scene after scene after scene on, on index cards. And I think, you know, similar. similar. Yeah, yeah, similar, right. But I think like th that's again, something I might do much later in, in my process. And maybe that's what Butler is talking about doing it. But for me, again, it would be that 80 pages, I think. And then maybe I'd start brainstorming scenes, but I think I could also, and I think this is what I'm doing now as I'm thinking about the new novel. I think I'm kind of um, procrastinating, <laughs> procrastinating a little Yeah. by pre-thinking yeah. um, where I'm like, Jane, you gotta just, dive in and start writing and start really getting like I'm keeping it too abstract I, I can tell by thinking mm -hmm. about like oh yeah this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen or I'm kind of like all right the rubber needs to re meet the road here and you need to start fucking writing um, yeah yeah plotting can definitely be procrastination because mm -hmm. it seems 
easier, more manageable, that you're in control. And I think mm. a lot of plotting is this sense of I have a road ahead of me, I'm in control, I know what I'm doing. Sure. And grabbing hold of that uncertainty and not being in control is really what writing a novel is all about being like yeah. right there and discovering in the moment. You, so hopefully moving in between those two, I, I tell students that, okay, you've got this analytical planning side, you've got this creative side, and you probably want, you probably go through periods where one dominates or the other dominates. Yeah. But if you do create a plan for yourself, you create that plan, then you might write from that plan but then you have to go back to the plan and change the plan because it's going to be yes. completely different. Yeah. Um, and then you write to maybe that plan and then you rechange the plan. And so eventually they get closer and closer and they right. meet, but they're always going to be quite separate at first and they need to keep changing each other and keep free from each other mm -hmm. and hopefully energizing each other in some way. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think something that, that is helpful um, and I've done sort of a version of this is like, once I have a draft, um, and even if it's sort of not, you know, it, it's maybe still sort of a mess. I can go in and write the write out like the the beats or the like sort of make a retroactive outline, and then I can look at it and be like, uh, something's off here. Like the the rhythm between this and this isn't right. Or um, I, I can see I, my thing with with writing a novel that I find so hard sometimes is like stepping back and seeing it like sometimes I just wish and I know some people do it they like throw it up on the wall but even so you know I was at a writing conference where a residency once at the Vermont Studio Center and I I love it, it uh is a place where there are art, visual artists too and I always love that I love talking with visual visual yeah. artists about their process and I remember a painter saying how do you step back and see your whole work she's like I can you know when I'm working on a painting I'm you know working up close but then I can step back like yards away and like look at the whole thing as a whole and that's really hard to do with a novel because it's so it's so big <laughs> and it's so big the nature of words versus the images that's why I think, you know, doing color coding and mm -hmm. making it physical as possible can be really helpful because it also allows you to see it differently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't get into that, that level of the color. Like um, Anjali was talking about that yesterday, right? She, she talks about um, doing, doing that spreadsheet or the color coding and stuff. And um, I've, <laughs> I've like tried to do that and I'm like, oh, I can't, this is due. But again, like I, for me, putting it up on the giant whiteboard is for me the the um, the closest I can get to being able to step back and and look. And I think a part of that yeah. is just like the physicality of it. And like, a, it's not on a computer. It's like a a, a much more visual thing. And and I I find that refreshingly helpful. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm usually I have cards. I put them all over the floor. Mm -hmm. And then my husband comes in. He's like, "Why are you crawling around on the floor?" But it's <laughs> for me. It's kind of fun. <laughs> just like I'm yeah. in my book. I'm right. on my book. Um, so yeah, so there's a, there are a few questions we've got in the Q&A. Mm -hmm. um, first off, kind of going back a little bit, she says, if your book, uh, Christine Chip says, if your book, um, and Christine, I might be mispronouncing your last name, so sorry about that. Um, if, if your book doesn't sell, do you simply set it aside? And so that's kind of going back of trying to move on from a project. And yeah, sometimes you do have to set it aside. I've got a lot of painful books that I've set aside. Yeah. Um, the forensics book, I... I'm determined to sell that book. Mm -hmm. I know that there's something really important there. Yeah. Um, so for now, I'm just moving on to something else. 
yeah. Um, yeah. that will hopefully bring me back right. um, to that book. And I think it probably needs some work. Um, but, but there are times that you just, you might just have to set fire to a book and be like, this book yeah. isn't good for me. It's just never going to get there. What do you think? Right. right. I, I think, yeah, there are probably different versions of that. Like one of my books that didn't sell, I, I kind of in retrospect know why. And I also, for that one, I'd already like, while that was in the process of being out on submission, I'd already started something new. So that was good. It was like, I'd moved on to my next, you know, relationship. Um, You have to write something new when you're pitching a book to agents uh, and editors, because otherwise it's going to kill you waiting. It's so hard though. I I like didn't do that with my last two books. Um, I just couldn't, I, I don't know. I was so invested and maybe that was why it was such a torturous process was I hadn't preemptively moved on, but like, but it, you know, it's interesting. You, you change so much as a writer, you know, as an artist, as you go and you develop your voice and your interests change and the kind of stuff you want to write changes. So for my, the, my last novel um, that didn't sell was called Grateful and it was much more serious and much more, and I, st- I think it was a really good book. Like I, I, and we had some near misses and I, I felt, um, I, I still feel like, yeah, I could go back to it and try to sell it. But I also feel like my next book by design, so different, it's satire, it's funny. It's um, cause I just was like, I need to try something different cause what I've been doing is not working. So for me, I feel like, if I went back to that book, it wouldn't be, I mean, this sounds so crass, but it wouldn't be on brand. You know what I mean? And it's like not who I am as a writer anymore. Yeah. So I, my, I my new books that I'm working on are completely different from my first two books. Yeah. And I'm a little worried about that, but I'm not. I mean, I feel like so many of us changed during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, our styles, what we, why we wanted to write, what we wanted to write and letting ourselves go there is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Letting your and letting yourself try something new. I kind of felt like, you know, after the grief of, and there really is like a grief when you're, you know, you try to sell a book or you're even just like, you're trying to get an agent and it doesn't work out. <clears throat> I felt like starting something very different was for me, the equivalent of like cutting all my hair off and getting a tattoo or something, <laughs> you know, it's like, you kind of just need to, I don't know, start start fresh in a way but um certainly like I I know people and you know like you have been able to come back to a book that they wrote before they have success with a book and then you know suddenly the world is suddenly interested in your previous book because they think they can make money on it um so and sometimes you're just not in a place to be able to do that book just to revise that book the way you need to because the quickening the quickening was the first book I wrote um Mm. and then I wrote another book and put the quickening aside. And then I went back to the quickening and completely destroyed everything, but like 15 pages and, and mm. remade the point of view. And so um, sometimes you just have to be in the right space for the certain kind of book that you're writing yes. um, and let yourself wait sure. for that and not yes. force it unless you're really excited Definitely. about what you're working on. I wouldn't force yourself to do that. Um, okay. We have a question, um, from Julie Butters. How do you personally balance taking time for discovery and writing to find the best story with meeting with publisher deadlines? Hmm. I've never had a publisher deadline for a novel, so (laughs) I've never, I guess in terms of like having to copy editing, um, those sorts of deadlines, like in progress deadlines from a Mm. publisher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what's interesting about publishing is that, um, and this is about 
submitting and publishing at all, it's a very wait, 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 wait. And then you have to do something very fast. Yes. Um, so, and I always warn writers, um, publishers and agents live in a different time sphere. So yeah, if they totally tell good. you, I'll get back to you in a month, <laughs> then it's actually two months. And actually after the pandemic, I think it's actually three. So if they say, yeah. I'll call you next Tuesday, then it's going to be three Tuesdays from then. Okay. Yeah. So you really cannot, you know, allow you imagine to that when, when I go, you know, cause I work in like business and day and like, that just would never ever fly no. in like no. the more corporate world. It's, but know. then when you have to do something, you have to get it done right away. Of course. Yeah. Like, where like, is it? It's back know. in two weeks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can you write a whole novel in two weeks? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Here yeah. you go. Yep. Um, okay. <laughs> so we're going to have to, I'm going to have to let these people go. I'm going to have to let Jane go. Um, and get her own writing done today. Um, but I just loved having you on here, Jane. It was absolutely amazing. Thank and you. tomorrow to we're going to have Jessica Keener, um, author of Strangers in Budapest and, and many other books, and Grace Toulousen, author of The Body Papers. They're going to talk about an idea called burrowing. And I'm assuming that listeners have no idea what that means. So that means that mm-hmm. you have to see Jane doesn't know what it means. So yeah. that means you have to listen because it's going to be the most exciting definition of a term you've ever heard it's just going to renew your life um also remember that you can follow along um the recording of this webinar uh, as a podcast and it has really fun music or music (laughs) that i like um on substack and uh, any other podcast venues including apple spotify and all those fun ones and if you follow the podcast and even rate it that that can be really fun for us to keep the podcast going and keep all this Mm. going so Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you, everybody, all our listeners. And I do hope you have an amazing writing day. Let's get to it. Get some good writing done. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Have you found what you lost? Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind. And you go where it tells you to go. But you never.